This morning, if you want to turn to uh, our series, or continuing in the series in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 21 this morning, Luke 21, beginning in verse 1. I see that it's providential that I only have four verses this morning. Gives us time to do other things. Luke 21, verse 1. And he looked up and he saw, that is Jesus, saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw, two poor, uh, saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all out of their surplus put in the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. One of the ways that you can uh, create problems between you and another person is, is to talk about two things. First is not politics, but talking to people about how they're raising their kids. Sometimes that can, that can create some problems between people. You should do this with your kid, or you should do that with your child. That can cause problems in the heart of people. The other one is how they're spending their money. Uh, questioning how they're using the funds that God has given them. Those two are oftentimes problematic. Well, this morning I'm going to launch out on the latter, and I pray that I won't cause too many problems this morning in your heart. Most likely there's various opinions on the issue of giving to the Lord's work. Now, you would say, well, Pastor Neil, he's very pro-maximum giving. Others might be at the stage just starting their church life, and they're not really sure um, where that is, or where they should be on that. Some have a very legalistic point of view. Others have a very kind of laissez-faire. Well, you know, whatever seems right in your own eyes, just go ahead and do it. And as much as I appreciate your opinion, and as much as you appreciate my opinion, I think neither of those are of critical importance. But what's important is what Jesus says about giving to the Lord's work. Wouldn't you say that was the most important thing? Well, this morning we have these four verses, and they're kind of sandwiched in between two major subjects. Last week, we looked at the subject of Jesus being questioned critically by the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. You remember that? Next week, beginning in verse 5, Jesus begins to deal with the whole issue of things to come, end times things. Kind of two diverse subjects. And then sandwiched right in between are these four verses. And in these four verses, Jesus gives us his perspective on giving. And I think it would be incumbent on our part at least to give him a hearing ear to hear what he has to say. So that's what we're going to do in the 30 minutes that Chester left me. <laughs> what would I do if I didn't have Chester to pick on? What am I going to do with you gone for these two weeks, Chester? I'll be 
<laughs> and we'll be praying for you. Okay. Jesus' perspective. I have not three, but five, and we'll move really quickly. The first. Notice that the Lord notices and cares how we use our money. His first perspective, the Lord notices and cares how we use our money. Verses 1 and 2. Jesus was sitting by near where people were putting in money to the treasury of the temple. And he notices what's going on. He's very careful to notice. The rich are putting in many and this poor widow is just putting in two copper coins. Not only does he notice, but he cares. He cares. And we can see that through the rest of the passage. He notices and cares what's going on. And he, that's true also for us. Some of the com commentators have told me, I was reading through some books, that Jesus mentions money and possessions more than he mentions heaven or hell combined. That's incredible. Eleven of the 39 parables that Jesus teaches in the Gospels concern possessions and money. The only subject that he preaches more on in the Gospels is the kingdom of God. Why is this so important? Because of Jesus. Why does he do that? Is it because he knew that the churches had expenses and mortgages and light bills to pay? No. No. It's because he knows that how we use that which he gives us is central to life. Life. You're saying, well, what do you mean? Well, come back with me to Luke chapter 12. We looked at this several months ago as we've been going through the gospel. But... This is kind of focuses right in on the heart of Jesus. Luke 12:13. Jesus is teaching and it says in verse 13, some in the crowd said to him, "Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me." But he said to him, "Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you?" And so this fellow says, "Hey, you know, the, the inheritance is being divided Enter in, and Jesus refuses to get involved in a big family feud about money. However, the following verse in 15, he states an important principle. And he says, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. There's the principle. Life doesn't con isn't consist, doesn't consider, isn't considered Life, real life, because of the amount of money or possessions you have. Then, stating the principle in verse 15, he tells a parable to illustrate what he's talking about. Look what he says. Told him the parable. The land of a rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there will I store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. The parable, we're very familiar with this man. He's done very, very well. He decides, yeah, I've got all these goods. What am I going to do? Notice there's a lot of I, me's, and my's in there. It's all about using that which he has grown 
for himself. That's the point. He's, and he never thought, he never thought about saying, I wonder what the Lord would have me to do with these, these, all this produce. Well, maybe, maybe I wonder what... That never came to his mind. He was thinking all about using what he had been given through a good crop for himself. Okay. Notice what happens, however. Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? And then Jesus puts the conclusion, So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What's the point? Well, he's thinking, I've got years to go and I'm going to use all these goods for myself. And that very night, what happened? He was called before God. And what does God say to him? You're a fool. Now, I've been called a fool by many people, but the one thing, the one person I don't want to have calling me a fool is who? God. You don't want to have God calling you a fool. Now, why is he so foolish? Well, for two reasons. Do you notice the first reason? He's gone and he's left it all behind. And maybe he's got a couple of prodigal sons who are going to take all of his money and all of his goods, sell it, and spend it on loose living and drinking and carousing. And he won't have no control over what happened with his hard-earned goods. Somebody else can spend it. Maybe his wife will say, I'm going to sell the farm and I feel lucky and I'm going to move to Las Vegas. <laughs> he doesn't know. He has no control. The second reason... And the primary reason he's a fool, did you notice? He's not rich towards God. There. He's not rich towards God. Now, found a quote by Jim Elliott. Let me read it to you. He, here it is, so perfect. This is Jim Elliott, uh, one of the missionaries who was killed by the Aka Indians back in the 50s. Listen to what he says. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain, keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me read that again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The whole parable is rooted in Jesus' concern that we don't become Fools. That's his heart. That's why he's concerned. That's why he cares on how we use our money. Now, someone once said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. In the book, uh, The Treasure Principle, by Randy Alcorn, one of my favorite authors, he gives a similar parallel. Let me read it to you. Mr. Alcorn writes, Imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War. You're living in the South, but you're a Northerner. You plan to move home as soon as the war is over. 
While in the South, you've accumulated lots of Confederate currency. Now, suppose you know for a fact that the North is going to win the war and the end is imminent. What will you do with your Confederate money? If you're smart and not foolish, I've added that, there's only one answer. You should immediately cash your Confederacy money into U.S. Union funds, the only money that will have value once the war is over. Keep only enough Confederate money to meet your short-term needs. That hits home. Why? Why does that hit home? Because every one of us know that this present age could end really quickly. Maybe quicker than we understand. Maybe our lives will end up. Maybe we'll be standing before the Lord. How are we using this currency that is going to be no good? No good. Once we go into the next series of events, which could either be our passing away or the second coming of Jesus. And so, Jesus is concerned, and you can kind of sum what I'm saying here, right here in this passage, is you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So the Lord notices and cares how we use our money. Second perspective, the Lord understands that all, both rich and poor, are to give. Notice, Jesus accepts the fact. He seems to accept the fact that the rich and poor are to give. Matter of fact, he commends the widow for giving her two copper coins. Now, oftentimes the rationale is this. Here's the rationale. Well, things are kind of tight. Uh, you know, just, you know, business has been down and, uh, well, maybe when things get better, I'll, you know, begin to give to this missionary organization or, or begin to support the church. Now, that's the rationale for many of us. Let me ask you a question. Why does the work of the Lord always have to take the cut? Oftentimes, the very first cut. When things get tight, why do we always cut the Lord out of it? Did you ever ask yourself that question? Well, how about this? Why don't we cut the TV cable off? Why don't we cut that out? Why don't we cut that out? How about uh, let's cut uh, lattes and donuts every morning on the way to work? And cut that out. Yeah. Why not? Or how about let's, uh, let's start carpooling with our buddy and leave the car home two or three days a week. That's possible. Why does the Lord always take, take the cut? I'll tell you why the Lord always doesn't take the cut. Because for many Christians, Christianity and, and Jesus is a life philosophy. You know, get, get the picture, it's kind of up here, but it's kind of fuzzy. You know, I believe in the Lord, but it's not solid. Because the minute anything kind of turns bad, <laughs> we can cut him out of the picture. Now, 
In 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, Paul is getting a collection for the saints in Jerusalem who are going through a hard time. And he writes, on the first day of the week, each one is to set aside as he is prospered. So, he's prospering good. He's set aside a certain amount. Not prospering as good. He also is supposed to set aside an amount. All were to give. Now, why does Jesus accept her giving when she's so poor? Why does Jesus accept her giving? We can understand why he would understand the rich putting in their gifts, but why this poor widow? Well, if we remember the Hebrew Scriptures, Malachi 3.10 says, Malachi 3.10 says that if we would bring the tithe into the, whole, the storehouse, that he would do what? He would open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. And he's talking about a blessing. <laughs> now, many times we struggle financially because we are determined to do what is right in our own eyes rather than listening to the Lord. And the Lord speaks through the prophet and says, listen. If you're struggling, you need to bring, you need to support the work of the Lord in the temple. Because if you do, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. And oftentimes, why he isn't pouring out a blessing is because, now, don't be offended. Check it out, Malachi chapter 3. He says, if you're not, you're stealing from the Lord. Oh, Pastor Neil, don't say that. Well, go ahead and read the Bible. Go back to Malachi chapter 3 and see what he says. We're stealing. Now, if you're stealing from somebody, do you expect them to give you a blessing? I don't think so. Now, we're not talking about giving more so I can get more. You know, it's like, oh, if you put $20 in the offering, I'm guaranteeing you're going to get $200. No, we're not talking about that kind of hokey pokey stuff. We're talking about being responsible steward for that which God has given you. Being a responsible steward with what God has given you. Someone wrote, the Lord prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Let me repeat that again. The Lord prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. He's looking for managers and steward of his funds. So, the Lord understands that both rich and poor, both rich and poor, but to be responsible with the funds that God has given them. Third point. The Lord doesn't need our money. Verses 2 and 3. The Lord doesn't need our money. If we think the Lord needs her two copper coins, we really haven't read the Bible. It says in Psalm 50 that the Lord, what? Owns the cattle on what? A thousand hills. He owns, he owns, owns everything. He doesn't need our money, but we need to give. Oh, we need to give. Not only because if we give and we're responsible, he'll open the, king, the uh, windows of heaven, but it helps us grow spiritually. 
It's a spiritual issue. Matthew 6.21 says, for where your, that's Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart. So we can, we can all examine how we're doing spiritually. Come on, just bring your checkbooks up here and your credit card statements and we'll find out where your treasure is. That's what he says. But it's more than that. It's more than that. As a compass always points towards north, so our heart always moves towards where our treasure is. Did you think about that? As a compass always moves north, so our heart will always point where our treasure is. Now, you're saying, what do you mean, Pastor Neil? Well, perhaps you're saying, or perhaps I'm saying, gee, I wish I had a heart for missions. I wish I had a heart for foreign missions. I just, you know, I should, I know I should be caring about those people who never heard of Christ. I just don't have a heart for missions. Can I tell you how to get a heart for missions? Put some money, put your treasure into missions. Begin to support your church that's supporting missionaries. Get some of our missionaries that are out there on the hall and move some of your treasure over there. And you know what you're going to find? Your heart will move where? To where your treasure is. You'll have a heart for missions. Now, how did Calvary Chapel Mission Viejo get a heart for missions? Was it out of the goodness of my heart? <laughs> it had nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. It started with Pastor Jimmy years and years ago when he began and we followed through the leadership of this church has followed through to consistently give, move our treasure overseas. And as we have moved our treasure, guess what? The heart of this church has moved towards what? Where we put our treasure. Just this last month, just this last month, we reorganized some of our mission giving and added almost $2,000 to our mission. That's a month. Added $2,000 to our missions giving. Because we love missions. Because that's where our treasure is. Now, let me give you an illustration. Suppose um, Monday you went to work and you got a call from a buddy who, who knows the stock market. And he said, listen, I got a for sure deal. It's a startup country, company. They're going to do great. They got a product that will not miss. You know this guy is sharp. So you take $3,000 and you invest it in that stock. And right away you're seeing, up it goes in the stock market. Guess what? Guess what? Every time there's an article in the newspaper or a magazine or there's a broadcast on the radio or television that has anything to do, <laughs> anything to do with that product or that company, you're going to be on it like white on rice. You're going to want to look at that one. What's going on? And if you hadn't invested that money in that company, you might have even said, oh, that's interesting. Not even read it. Why? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Does it? Our giving spurs our spiritual growth. The Lord doesn't need our money. We need to give. Fourth perspective. The Lord looks on the heart and not the amount. Look at verses 3 and 4. 
Why would Jesus say she put in more? She didn't put in more. She only put two copper coins. He says she put in more. It wasn't the amount, but it was her heart. It was her heart. It was an expression of who she was and who, how she felt about the Lord. Now, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, We should give as we have purposed in our heart, not under compulsion. Not under compulsion. It's an expression of our commitment to the Lord. He's not interested in the amount. He's interested in our heart. Now, some churches have a box in the back. Okay? And if the Lord has led them to do that, praise the Lord, that's not a problem. I'm not criticizing them. But we have a collection in the middle of the service. Why do we do that? Because it is an expression of worship. Giving is an expression of worship. As we sing and pray and look at the scriptures, it's an act of worship. Now, in this financial downturn, even though the church has grown somewhat, tithes and offerings are down. I'm not surprised. You wouldn't be surprised either. Why? Because 10% of nothing is still nothing. You know, if you're unemployed or you're underemployed, it's just not coming in. We don't have any problem with that. The Lord doesn't look on the amount. He looks on where your heart is at. Where your heart is at. Now, here's the difficult part when you start talking about a person's heart. The difficult part is that oftentimes as a Christian, you know what is right in your heart. You know what's right. Well, sometimes I don't even need you to call you into counsel. You know what's, what's right in your heart. The problem is, you're not doing it. And when you know what is right, and you will go against that, my friend, that's not a good place to be at a Christian, as a Christian. Oftentimes, people have this, like, this dark cloud over their Christianity. It just, oh, I just can't see the joy of the Lord at this time. Uh, something's wrong, something's wrong. You know what's wrong? You know you're doing something wrong. You know it's the right thing to do, but you're just not doing it. Isn't that true? Come on. Give me a hedging. I'm not talking about just money. But when you know there's something you should be doing, and that's the right thing, and you're not doing it, that's, you're in trouble spiritually. You know how to solve that problem? Stop it. Do what's right, and you'll see all of a sudden, wow, the sun is shining on my soul, and I can see the joy of the Lord. Oh, praise God. That's the truth. You know the truth. The question is, are we, and I'm including myself in that, am I going to do it? The Lord looks on the heart, not the amount. If you know, and I'll make it up, if you know that you should be giving, the Lord has laid this on your heart, and you're not doing it, He looks in your heart. Okay. Last point, point five. Best perspective. The Lord commends giving that is sacrificial. The Lord commends giving that is sacrificial. It wasn't just her heart. It was... But it was more than that. What she gave was a sacrifice. It really cost her. Those rich people, they gave out of their, what does it say? They gave out of their prosperity. 
out of their surplus, it says in verse 4. But she gave out of her poverty. Now, in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 5, Paul commends the Macedonians because it says he was getting this collection together for the saints in Jerusalem. It says that out of their affliction, and get this, out of their affliction and deep poverty, they gave of themselves. It was a sacrifice to give. Why is this so important? Why is this important? Do you remember the story about King David? Do you remember the story about King David? Towards the end of his life, he took a census, and the Lord was very displeased by that. Do you remember? And um, he said a pestilence in Israel, and many thousands were killed in the pestilence. And as the pestilence came to Jerusalem, the Lord said, stop, that's enough. And as a response to what all that happened, his own sinfulness and the Lord stopping the pestilence, David decided he was going to offer up, build an altar and offer up a burnt offering, sacrifice. Okay? And he goes to this place, uh, it's the threshing floor of a Jebusite. You remember? And he says, hey, I'm going to build an altar and offer up a burnt offering here. And tells the guy, and the guy says, okay, King, King David, listen, just take it. It's a freebie. And and David says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Let me quote what he says. He says, I will not offer a burnt offering to the Lord, which costs me nothing. Let me read that again. I will not offer a burnt offering to the Lord, which costs me nothing. Now, in Romans 12.1, if you know anything about the book of Romans, first 11 chapters, first 11 chapters, the book of Romans, is all about the wonderful things that Jesus has done for us. Amen? Wonderful things he's, he's planning on doing for the Jewish people. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy it's acceptable to God. It is pleasing to Him. Now, how I can show my dear wife how much I love her and how you, vice versa, with your mates, you know how you can show that you really, you're committed and how you can do it? Not by just doing what's expected, you know, going to work every day, you know, coming home, taking out the garbage, doing your responsibility. You know how you can show you really care? By going out of your way and doing that which costs you something, whether it's financial or time-wise, or just going out of your way to say, here, this is a sacrifice on my part. You know what you're saying? I love you. I love you. The Lord commends her for her sacrificial giving. Okay. Kind of wrapping it up here. Lord notices and cares how we use our money. He understands that both rich and poor are to give. He doesn't need our money. We need to give. He looks in the heart, not the mouth. And he commends us for sacrificial giving. Now, the, the truth be told, that only 20 to 30% of the people in any given church really support the work of the ministry. That's it's a sad 
commentary, but that's the truth. 20 or 30% only really support the work of the ministry. We have in many churches what we call a don't ask, don't tell policy. Now, our dear president, Exnate, got policy out of the military just last week. But we in many churches have a don't ask, don't tell policy. Don't ask me about what I'm giving and I won't tell you what I am giving. And we'll both continue to live as we want to in the light of our own eyes. Now, my motivation for teaching from this passage is not budgetary. You know that last week we were in Genesis chapter, I mean Luke chapter 20. We talked about the scribes and the Pharisees. Next week we're going to be talking about things to come. We're just kind of marching our way through the gospel of Luke and here we come to these four verses. So it's not budgetary. I'm not wasn't pushed by the board or anybody to say this. This is just what the Bible teaches. What Jesus' perspective is on giving. It's an essential part of our spiritual life and our spiritual growth. And if you don't solve this issue with giving, your spiritual life is in jeopardy. Not that you lose your salvation, but it just won't work. You won't see the power of the Lord because you're not trusting Him. You're trusting in your own understanding. These words come from the mouth of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, through His written word, by the mouth of your friend and pastor. I pray that each one of us, including yours truly, would hear what Jesus says about this very sensitive subject. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my friends, my brothers and sisters. What a giving church this is. What a blessed church we are. But we always want to hear what you have to say. You warned us to be aware, beware of greed. We know that you said those words because there's a real possibility. And we've seen that in each one of our lives. Lord, help us to hear your word, to respond to it, and honor you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.